This is my right A right given by God To live a free life To live in freedom Talking about So we're starting a new series entitled Freedom, and I'm excited about this series. It's from the book of Galatians. So we're going to walk through the book of Galatians for the next couple of months, and what we're going to experience, I know for a fact, out of this book is the chains are going to loose and fall, and we're going to have freedom. Amen? Someone say amen. Okay, amen. That's good. Now, when I was in college, a junior in college, the movie Braveheart came out in the theaters, and I went to go see that in the theater with some of my college guy friends. Uh, We were in a Bible study together, a men's Bible study, and we went to see that movie. And when we left, we all were unbelievably speechless. That movie did something to us. Do you know what I mean? It did something. I don't know if it was the age that we were at in our life, you know, the stage, we were college kids, but whatever it was, that movie got inside of us and it did something. I'm not sure what it did. One thing I know that it did is we all started to grow our hair out long after that, uh, that movie. Six months later, all of us had long hair. It was like all of a sudden we were becoming our own rebels in a way. And I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but it's been my all-time favorite I mean, it's still my all-time favoritist movie. Anyone with me on this? Can I get an amen? That is the man's man's movie right there. Now, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I still remember um, this famous line from the movie where Mel Gibson or Braveheart says this. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. Three men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Die? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Does he just want to get out of your seat? Yes! He was encouraging the troops. He said, you're a free man. And what are you going to do, free man, to those tyrants who are trying to take away your freedom? Will you fight? And that's what this book is all about in Galatians. It is a fight. The Apostle Paul is encircling his enemies with blue face paint, if you will. And he's fighting against the tyranny of religion. He's taking a bold stand for the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I need to be clear. He's not talking about truth. 
or orthodoxy, but grace. Of course, grace is truth and orthodoxy, but there were those in Paul's day, and there are still today, and there will always be, I think, those who tend to want to pit truth and orthodoxy against grace, as if grace isn't the full truth. You know what I'm talking about? As if grace is just a piece of it, and then there's more that you need to uh, you know, get to a certain level in. And so the Apostle Paul's going to fight against those tyrants and say, it's grace, it's freedom. It actually is Martin Luther's favorite book, the early reformer in 19, in the 1600s, I mean, not 1916, 1600s. It was his absolute favoritist book. He actually went so far as to say he was married to the book. He called it his Catherine, which was his wife's name. So that would be like me saying, it's my Kelly. The book of Galatians is my Kelly. That's just odd, isn't it? But that's how much Luther loved the book of Galatians. He called it the Magna Carta of freedom because it's all about freedom and fighting against the tyranny of religion. You know, Luther was the brave heart of his day, wasn't he? He was fighting against religion. He was fighting against the medieval Catholic church, which was just corrupted, and it was all about lies and all about power, and they weren't teaching the gospel. They weren't teaching the good news. They were teaching, well, what Luther and the reformers called works righteousness, which means you'll be saved by your works. The early Catholic church taught, they didn't teach the gospel. They didn't teach good news. They said, you have to do this, and you have to act this way, and you have to pay this kind of penance, and you've got to give this amount of money to the church. And if you played by the rules and you did those things, then your sins would be absolved. They even had this place they called purgatory. You've heard of this place? Purgatory was the place that Christians would go to when they die. They didn't go to heaven. They go to purgatory so they could pay for the sins that had not yet been paid for while on the earth and while alive. Isn't that interesting? You can imagine what it might have felt like to grow up, to live in the ancient medieval church. Can you imagine the anxiety that you would feel? This anxiousness that you'll never measure up. This worry that you'll never be good enough and you know, punishment is coming. One day you're going to have to pay the piper, whether it's going to be in hell or in this middle place called purgatory. Nevertheless, you're going to have to pay for your sins and your bad choices. And that's not good news, is it? It's not the gospel. That's slavery. And so Luther fought adamantly against the tyranny of religion and the tyranny of slavery to take a bold stand for the gospel of grace. I wonder how many people still feel that way today. Anxiety that you'll never meet the grade, that you'll never measure up, that you're going to have to pay the piper. And you, you think people feel that way? I don't actually wonder at all. I know for a fact. I know for a fact that people feel that way. I, I, I bet you you feel that way sometimes, that you're never going to measure up and you're never going to be good enough. Think about this with me, if you will. The statistic in this country is that 72% of all Americans do not attend a worship service on any given weekend. That's 100% of the time. So 72% of all Americans do not worship Jesus on any given weekend 100% of the time. So it doesn't matter when you take it. There, there's 72% of Americans not in church. Why is that? You know why it is. I bet you have friends, you have coworkers, you have neighbors, You've talked to them, and, and how many of you have had this experience where they say, well, I'll never step foot in a church again. 
If, raise your hand if you've ever felt that or heard that. Oh, yeah, I hear it all the time. I heard it just this week, the day before New Year's Eve, I met this guy. Or I started talking to him just down the road, pointed to, he goes, you know, he says, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> now you're going to run away, aren't you? And, and he's like, well, I've been kind of, I haven't been to church in a while. I'm like, how long? And he said, probably 13. We went on to this long conversation. I said, well, why not? And he struggled for a little while. Finally, he said, I, I don't know if I'll ever go back again. Why do they feel that way? Why is the statistic true? Almost 80% in St. Louis do not go to church. Is it because they're tired of hearing about God's love and mercy and grace? You think? You think maybe they're sick of it. They're sick of hearing about the grace that God lavishes upon his children who are in Christ. You think that they're overburdened by the promise of Jesus that his yoke would not be a burden? No, that's not, that's not, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's the other way around. I think they've heard a different thing, not the gospel. I think they've heard religion. I think they've heard the tyranny of slavery. I think they have a taste in their mouth and it's a bad taste. And this is what it tastes like. You need to try harder and you need to do gooder and you need to be better and you need to not watch television, at least especially not reality television. And you should never go to Las Vegas because Christians don't go to Las Vegas. And you should never listen to secular music, only Christian music. And you should never, and you should give, and you should do, and you should this. And don't ever, never, here's the rule number one. Don't ever tell someone that you're struggling with the sin or that you're struggling with an addiction or that you might even be depressed because those are red flags that you might not be a Christian. So just hide behind a mask and play this game and don't let anyone know how you really feel. And that's not freedom. That's slavery. That's slavery behind a mask. That's slavery behind a game. That's slavery to your own addictions and to your own depressions and to your own, that's slavery. And that's the message that America has been preaching, I feel like, and that needs to change. Can I get it? Amen. Amen. That is the tone of this book. The anger, the violence, the we need to fight for freedom. That's the feeling that you're gonna get in this book. Six chapters of Paul blasting the legalists. Oh, I'm going to love this book. Listen, you want to just get into it? If you have a Bible or you have an iPad or an iPod or an iSomething and you want to open it up, let's just look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I just want to stop there real quick and just comment a little bit on the first verse. Uh, first, we see who wrote it, Paul. He always introduces himself when he writes the letter. This is Paul. And then he always tells a little bit about himself. And in this letter, he makes a big deal about who he is. He's an apostle. Did you notice that? Now, we don't use the word apostle very much anymore. And so we might not really know what it means. So let me just unpack that real quickly. It just means the sent one. So an apostle is one who's been sent. Um, he's been sent with a message to give to people. And Paul believes, and he'll say this in this letter and in every letter, that Jesus sent him with the message of the gospel, which is simply the gospel of grace alone, faith alone, Christ Jesus crucified. That's the gospel. And Paul feels like he's been specifically sent to the Gentiles or to those who are far from God, not the Jews. But Paul elaborates. He says, I'm an apostle, that is a sent one, but not a sent one from men. So men did not send me nor through a man, Barnabas or Peter or John. They didn't send me, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul says, a man did not send me, Jesus sent me. And you probably know the story, Jesus sent Paul. See, and, and, and a man did not give me the message that I've given you, Galatia. Um, Jesus gave me that message. 
So why is Paul making such a big deal about this? Well, this is actually nothing. In the next chapter, he's going to make a complete big deal about it, and we'll get to that. But why is he making such a big deal about who he is? Because there have been people who came into Galatia, and they started teaching what he will call a false gospel or another gospel. And so Paul planted this church in Galatia, and then he went on to go plant other churches. And while he was gone, he found out that these other men came in and started saying bad things about Paul. And Paul's not mad because they're saying bad things about him. Paul's mad because they're teaching a false gospel. And they're saying, Paul is not teaching the full truth. He's only teaching a small bit of the truth, not the full truth. It's not grace alone, but it's Jesus plus other things. It's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus the dietary rules in the Old Testament. And so they're saying, Paul's not giving you the full message because he doesn't understand. And Paul's saying, listen, bud. I was not sent as an apostle by man. I did not get a message from a man. I was sent as an apostle by Jesus, and I got the message from God himself. So who are you going to listen to, me or these guys? You can listen to me, because I was sent by Christ himself. Then he goes on. Um, uh, in a typical greeting that he always does in his letter, he says, I'm Paul, an apostle. He's saying who he's writing it to, to the church of Galatia. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is what Paul almost does every time in his letter. He says, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you. And then he always goes immediately to grace and peace. Have you ever noticed that when you read the Bible? He always immediately goes grace and peace. Grace and peace. It's his favorite two words, grace and peace, aside from Jesus and Christ. Um, grace and peace. I'll just give you an example. This is Galatia. Um, Galatian, I, I learned it like this in school, General Electric Power Company. So Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, Colossians. Let's just, let's just take the next three books. Let's say we take a Ephesians 1. Um, Ephesians 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, grace to you. And peace from God our Father. See, he did it again. How about the next one, um, Power Company? Um, Paul, I mean Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Philippi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. You don't believe me, I'll just do one more. How about that? Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, to Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And we could keep doing this in almost every letter that Paul writes, he always immediately rushes to grace and peace. Why? Because I told you before that Paul believes that he's an apostle sent with one message, and that is the message of the gospel, the grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, gospel. And these two words, grace and peace, are the bottom line, the baseline of the gospel. It is the gospel in a nutshell. Two words. I'll tell you why. Grace is what we get from God, which erases our sin. Grace erases our sin. It annihilates our sin. It covers over our sin. It is the experience that we have of the remittance of our sin. That's what grace is. Grace is you've been forgiven. And peace is that experience that we have after our sins have been forgiven. No longer do you have to worry. No longer do you have to feel anxiety. No longer do you have to try to climb the mountain or the, or the ladder. It's peace. You have peace. Grace, sins forgiven, peace. Do you see how the gospel brings freedom? Freedom from even worrying about that conscience that you have about all the sin that you have because it's been erased. It's been gone. Grace and peace. And peace goes two ways, actually. First, we have peace with God, which means God's forgiven us. So no longer is our relationship hostile. It's a peaceful relationship. He's our friend. 
not our enemy. We're not his enemy, I should say. And then also it goes this way. We have peace in ourselves. We have the peace that passes understanding, as the Bible says. We have no more guilty conscience. Isn't that good? Isn't that freedom? Does that sound like slavery? Someone say no. Someone say heck no. It sounds like freedom. Sounds like awesomeness. So if we go back to Galatians, we see grace and peace. Martin Luther said, that, said it like this. Um, by the way, I downloaded for free an awesome translation of Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. Like that's thick, you know? But the uh, awesome translation is only like that thick. That's why I think it's awesome. Um, it's in English and not German. And it speaks American, not, you know, old English. And it's free. If you have an iPad or an iPhone or an iOS device, you can download it for free. On our website, if you click on Sermon Series, Freedom, you'll see a, a link. You can download it to your, to your pad and, and read it for free. I, I encourage you to because I'm not ever going to be able to quote all of that. But I would like to. So if you read it, I don't have to. He says this. The article of justification must be sounded in our ears. Or another way of saying it is the gospel. The article of justification is the gospel. The, the, the article of our righteousness is the gospel. The article of justification must be sounded in our ears incessantly because the frailty of our flesh will not permit us to take hold of it perfectly and to believe it with all our hearts. In other words, we have to hear the gospel all the time, every day, because our flesh is so wicked, it will not even permit us to grasp it, to take it, to believe it, to trust it. We think it can't be just that. There's got to be more. The gospel is too good to be true. And so he says, I have to preach it to you all the time. In fact, there's actually a story where a parishioner came to Martin Luther, the pastor, and says, why do you preach the gospel every week? You're up there preaching the gospel every Sunday. Gospel, 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 gospel. And he was acting as if they were ready to move on to better things, to bigger things, deeper things. He says, don't you think we've got it by now? And he says, I preach the gospel every week because you don't have it by now. Because every week you walk in here looking like someone who hasn't been set free by the liberty of the gospel. And so until I see you looking like a free man, I want to keep preaching the gospel. Pretty cool, huh? He goes on to say this, sin and conscience torment us. Raise your, be honest, raise your hand if sin and your conscience torment you. Good, I'm not the only one. I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night with my sin and my conscience tormenting me. But Christ has overcome these fiends now and forever. That sounds like freedom. These two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. Grace involves the remission of sin. Peace, a happy conscience. You can sleep. Sin is not canceled by lawful living. Did you hear that? Sin is not canceled by lawful living, for no person is able to live up to the law. The, he's quoting Galatians there, actually. We'll get to that verse. The law reveals guilt, fills the conscience with terror, and drives men to despair. Nothing can take away sin except what? the grace of God. We haven't even got past the introduction, you know, I'm Paul, grace and peace to you. That part that you normally just kind of skip right over, ready to get to the meat of it. We haven't even got to the meat of it yet. And do you feel the tenor and the tone of this book? In fact, if you skipped ahead and looked at one of the last verses in the, in the book of Galatians, Paul's saying, see how I write this with big, bold writing in my own hand, because I am ticked. You don't mess with the gospel. The gospel is grace and freedom, not slavery to the law. Well, let's see what he says next. You thought this is good? Wait. We should have a commercial right about now. Verse 6. I am astonished 
that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. He is ticked. I told you that this is not, did I tell you that this is not like any other book in the Bible? It really isn't. That's, that's why Luther loved it. That's why I love it. Normally what Paul would do is say, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you, grace and peace. And then he would roll into a prayer of thanksgiving. If you are familiar with the Bible, you know this. He'll say some things like, I always thank God when I pray for you. <laughs> you know, la, la. He's, he'll go into sometimes a long-winded prayer that again, you just kind of want to skip over. Let's get to the meat here. Do you notice he doesn't do that here? He gets right to the point. That's how mad he is. I don't have time to pray for you. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have said that. I don't have time to go into this great salutation. I want to get to the point. Here's the point. I am astonished at you. I can't believe you. What are you doing? What is wrong with you people? That's what he's saying, essentially. Sometimes my... um. My children will do things that will astonish me. Anyone ever have this experience? Josiah, especially the oldest one, he's six. He will astonish me. Like he might take a matchbox car and just like throw it at a glass window pane. And I'm like, what are you doing? Or the other day I was just sitting there reading on my little iPad. And then I looked at him and he grabbed a toy from Jonathan and shoved him down and then walked away and started playing with it like it was no big deal. And I was like, <coughs> and without thinking, of course, as men typically do, I jumped up and I said, what is wrong with you? And then immediately I felt bad because I remember when I was a, an undergrad, I studied psychology and they taught us never to say that to kids or things like that to kids because you unintentionally are teaching them that there's something wrong with them, you know? <laughs> so, but I still say that, you know, I mean, it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. I just, uh, you, there's, you did something wrong. But I think that's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. What is wrong with you? And can I say he's not concerned about their psychological scarring because there is something wrong with them. Just like there's something wrong with you and there's something wrong with me. And that is we will not accept grace. We always do what these people do and say, okay, I got grace, but now I want to move on to my own works. I want to move on to my own working it out. I want to prove, I wanna, you know, we, we always want to. I, this, this excellent author, he wrote this sarcastic prayer as a way of kind of revealing our grace-averse hearts, that we're averse to grace. We want to have input. Listen to what he, what he writes. Lord, please restore to us the comfort of merit and demerit. Show us that there is at least something we can do. Tell us that at the end of the day, there will at least be one redeeming card of our very own. Lord, if it's not too much to ask, send us to bed with a few shreds of self-respect upon which we can congratulate ourselves. But whatever you do, do not preach grace. Give us something to do, anything, but spare us the indignity of this indiscriminate acceptance. Interesting, isn't it? Do you think it's true? We want that. We don't want grace. We want to in some way prove that we're good enough or that we've, 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 we've reached the point to where we can move beyond the gospel and learn deep, heavy, theological truth. Okay, he's not done. He keeps going. He says, you're so quickly deserting him who called you in grace. I want us to see that when we go to this other gospel, this Jesus plus something else gospel, 
Um, it's not just a bad thing, but we're deserting Christ. It's a desertion of Jesus himself. When we say, I can do things, I, I can measure up, I can have some self-dignity here, we're essentially saying to Jesus Christ, I don't need your free grace offer. I don't need your death upon the cross. I can try. I could try. See me try? And we're deserting Christ. And he says, you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. There, there isn't any other gospel. Is that true? There's no other good news. There's no other good news except the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just tell you the good news. The good news is that Jesus died while you were still in, a, in your sins. You weren't even born yet. <laughs> Jesus died while you were still in your sins. And even though you were still in your sins, you've been set free. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've become a Christian, there's no condemnation to you. Your sins have been wiped free. And if the Son has set you free, then guess what? You are free indeed. Come on, seem to give me an Amen. That's the gospel. Is there any other news better than that news? What if someone came in and said, yeah, but with that good news comes a certain responsibility. You're going to have to X or, or Y. And it would be nice if you add a little Z to your, to your paradigm there. Is that good news? Come on, tell me. Is that good news? It's not. Here's the good news. Jesus died for your sins, and if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Okay, but with that freedom, you have to X, Y, and Z. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Can I just tell you what? That's why so many people don't go to church. Because that was the hook, line, and sinker, bait, and switch thing that they got. What? The gospel's free? The gospel, Jesus loves me? This I know? You come in, oh, but you've got to give 10%. Oh, but you've got to give 10%. That was what that guy said to me the other day. They're all about money. All they want is your money. Yeah, we do. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> you've got to give. You've got you to stop watching. All those things. That's the X, Y, and Z. It's not good news. It's bad news, if you ask me. Listen to this. This may, I like Paul. I like him. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is so angry. He has resolved to cursing. Do you see it? Let him be cursed. He's cursing angels himself. If I or my team or an angel from heaven or anyone comes in here preaching to you the other gospel, let him be cursed. Now, I know I've already said it, but I'm just going to say it again so you didn't miss it. Yeah, I said it. Let him be cursed. One commentator said it's noted that our English translations sort of miss the earthiness of Paul. Paul frequently can get pretty earthy, if you know what I mean. But our English translations kind of de-earthyizes is, is him. <laughs> like he's going to say some pretty graphic things later on, like grotesque things later. We'll get to those things. That'd be fun. But if you think about what he said, if you were just sort of translate it in English, in modern Eng in American, what is he saying here? If anyone teaches anything other than the free grace gospel, let him be cursed. Let him be damned to hell. Let him go to hell. That's what he's saying. Damn him. Yeah, I said it. 
I'll say it again. So what Paul's saying. If anyone preaches anything but the gospel, he can go to hell. Literally, that's what he's saying. Okay, so do you see how angry Paul is getting about the gospel? Do you see how he takes this pretty seriously? And like I said, this is just the introduction. We've got six more chapters and he doesn't slow down. In fact, he keeps writing until the letters get bigger and bigger and bigger and he sends that letter off in the postmaster. I say it's time that we get as angry as Paul. I say it's high time that the church in America gets ticked about the mistreatment of the gospel. It's time for us to fight for freedom against the tyranny of religion. 72% of the of American population will not go to church. Someone needs to fight for them. They need to hear the gospel. Someone needs to stand on the rooftop and say, you are not under the law, but under grace. Can someone tell them that? Can someone just please tell them that Christianity is not this game you have to play in order to get God to approve of you? Christianity is a gift that's been given to you and you've been pre-approved. Can someone tell them that? We need to fight for the gospel, amen? Okay, I wanna have a discussion question before we move on to the very last thing. The question is this. Are you sensitive about the false gospel? Or do you get frustrated and angry when you hear people misspeak the gospel? The to-do list, checklist kind of a gospel. Because here's what I want you to talk about. Is it something that bothers you? Is it something that angers you like it angers Paul? And if yes, then why? And if no, then why not? That's what I want you to discuss at your table. Are you super sensitive to the gospel? And if yes, why? And if not, why not? Let's talk about that for a few minutes and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So I'm starting to feel like it's time for us to have a, reva, um, a reformation again. Again. We need a reformation against the tyranny of religion. We need a reformation that says, freedom. It's time for the church today to get as mad as Paul in defense of the true gospel of grace and peace. It's time for us to stick our necks on the line like Martin Luther did at the Reformation. We must abandon once and for all, all of our play it safe, toe-dabbling Christianity. I said it already, I'll say it again. It's time for us to stand on our rooftops and tell everyone you're not under the law, but under grace. One of my newest favorite pastors and authors has said, it is high time for the church to honor Jesus by embracing grace alone all over again. What has happened to grace alone? That pastor goes on to say, many of us have sat under a to-do list or a checklist preaching for so long that you've got these footnotes and these qualifications running through your brain because this sounds so different. We talk about it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Nothing you can do. You're not under the law. When you hear all that, it sounds so different. And he says, it's not different. And it's not different because it's new. I can assure you of that. He says, it's different because it's old. And it's been lost for so long that it desperately needs to be recovered. Who's with me? <laughs> we need to fight for freedom. What if there was a reformation that started here at Missio Dei? A grace revolution. A revolution of peace where we said, this is freedom, not slavery. You're not underneath law, you're under grace. You don't have to measure up or try harder or do better. You just have to trust in Jesus. 
We need to fight. And that's what we're going to do throughout this whole series. We've just gotten started. And this whole series, can I just tell you, is going to be dangerous. Because grace is scandalous, isn't it? That's rebellious. I can't stand up here and preach like this without there being some debate stirred. You know what I'm saying? Like right now I can hear some people, but, 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 but you know, what about, you know, James? You know, what about, you know, what about? They just can't let it go. They can't just, they just can't just hear the gospel. <coughs> if the son has set you free, you're free. There's no slavery. There's no bondage. Don't go back to slavery to another gospel. Don't desert Christ. He died for you. That's enough. It's enough. Grace is scandalous. It's rebellious. It's defiant and it's uncomfortable. Does it make you uncomfortable? It does. I'm glad. <laughs> it should. We need to take back the grace alone gospel. I like the way one author said, we need to drink deep of the grace of God. We need to get drunk on his grace. He said it like this, actually. Robert Kappen, we need to get drunk on 200 proof grace. That's good. He actually, I'll, I'll share the quote later, but he goes on to say, the Reformation was these people staggered in and found all these bottles of 200 proof grace wine that had been locked up in a cellar for so long and they just got drunk on it. Whew, we need to get drunk on 200 proof grace. And by the way, grace has to be drunk straight. No water, no ice, and certainly no ginger ale. It's grace alone. Don't add anything to it. Drink it straight. What we're going to learn in this series is that Jesus plus anything is nothing. It's no gospel. It's not good news. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. It's freedom. And my hope and my prayer is that we will all be blown away by the grace of God and that we will have a revolution in our own hearts. We'll, we'll experience a freedom in our own lives, and then that freedom will spill over into the lives around us so that they'll hear the true gospel instead of all the stuff they get, as you said, from the media. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I get chills. I get goosebumps thinking about the message of the cross, which could be declared in such a way that would bring freedom to people who are in slavery. Who has better news than that? Who has better news than to give slaves freedom? And we have that news, and yet we often don't even believe it ourselves. So I pray, Lord, that as we study this book of Galatians, your word, we study the way Paul handled those who would preach another gospel, that we would get super sensitive about grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, gospel in our own hearts and that we would begin to experience a revolution of freedom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.